question for you to get started. Can you think of the name of the company that produces the content that you consume the most on the internet? For me, the answer is starting strength. Second question, can you think of another company or a brand that produces the highest quality content of all the content you consume? For me, that's starting strength. So I show my support by subscribing to the network. It's $8 a month. You can sign up at network.startingstrength.com. If you can afford it, if it's no big deal, if eight bucks a month is a lot of money, don't sweat it and just keep listening for free. Uh, speaking of the rich and the poor, if you're the former, you might be able to afford our gyms. But the good news is the first session's free. It's a free 30-minute coaching session. And if you mention this ad spot at any participating gym, you will get a free 30-minute coaching session. So those are our ads. We are sponsored by ourselves. On with the show. Mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. All right, on the show today, we have Benji Wynn. Benji is my brother-in-law, and uh, he's staying with my wife and I for about a week with his girlfriend, and uh, Benji's a young man. We haven't had a young man yet on the show, so you're what, 28? I'm um, turning 29 in June. Turning yeah. 29 in June. Um, and he's, he's a smart guy, too, and he's been lifting for a long time. In fact, uh, when Kathy and I were first getting to know each other, you came down to, to the gym that I opened in California, and uh, I was very worried that Benji would not be coachable, but he was, and uh, he's thoughtful. He's a lifter. Um, let's start there. I've got a lot I want to ask you about. What are your PRs? Uh, my PRs. I've never, I've never gone higher than two twenty-five for the bench. That's been kind of a sticking point for me. Uh, overhead press. I've gotten into. I've gotten to one fifty-five, one hundred fifty-five pounds. Um, for the squat, I am currently at three seventy-five. Uh, I'm chasing 405. I've been chasing 405 for a very long time, and I think I'll hit that by my birthday this June. Uh, for the deadlift, I have never gone higher than 455 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, if I trained that thing diligently for about two months, I can hit, you know, 495. Hell yeah, yeah. Those are my PRs. Nice. And what's your body weight and height? Uh, my height, I'm five foot six, uh, 167 centimeters. I'm about 154 pounds or 70 kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good numbers for your height and body weight, man. Oh, thank you. Um, but the, as the audience can tell, you haven't let me do your programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Be Benji's taken yeah. the uh, the slow, steady approach, which is perfectly mm -hmm. acceptable as long as you're diligent and patient. Mm -hmm. um, and you've, you've stuck with it. So how long have you been lifting now? I started lifting at 21 years old. So, uh, yeah, so seven, eight years. Nice, yeah. yeah. I've been at it for about 10 now myself, so... Mm -hmm. um, what is your, and actually the context of this question is I, I figure you uh, have your finger on the pulse of pop culture a bit more than I do since your 10 years, my junior. Um, so what, what is the, what is the perception of, of starting strength? What is your perception of starting strength and what's your, your impression of the public's impression of starting strength, or at least in your age group? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm biased because I've known you for a while now and I know about starting strength's philosophy and all that stuff. I think, um, the the general public's view of starting strength is uh, at least amongst the you know crowd that i mingle with it's a lot more legit and i guess rigorous uh it's a bit more of a serious trade than let's say crossfit um people know that it is the kind of thing that requires a lot of dedication. Mm -hmm. It's not like CrossFit where you can just go in, take some classes, leave, and not really stick to any sort of rigorous program. It's the sort of thing that you have to go into um, knowing that you're going to invest time, emotional, and mental energy into it. And so, you know, that that is kind of, it's, it's both a turn on and a turn off. It's a turn on in the sense that people really take it seriously. They take the brand seriously. It's a turn off in the sense that it's not going to attract the you know, the average person 
who's just trying to get into fitness, which is a shame because I know that's what you guys uh, are really, you're marketing towards those people. You guys are, are working with elderly folks, uh, people with injuries, but it's not something that people just instinctually understand when they think about fitness. Mm. They usually think it's for a very, you know, typical abled folk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's my understanding. Uh, at least, again, amongst the people that I intermingle with, if you ask me about the Gen Z's perception, mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. You're getting old too, man. I am. Yeah. 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 I'm at the tail end of the millennials. Yeah. yeah. Well, just so everyone's aware, Benji is uh, deep in the belly of the beast. He works in San Francisco, lives in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, in tech, no less. And that's about all I need to say because that kind of paints the whole picture. Yeah. Um, what, what is the uh, – and, and context on this question – Whenever I go to a commercial gym, I see legions of young Asian people lifting heavy weights. It seems like uh, it's culturally attractive. I have some some ideas about why that might be, probably because of the tiger mom situation and the uh, desire to do hard things and be consistent and, and achieve things in life. Um, what What is your impression of strength amongst your age group and specifically in the culture that you find yourself in? Um, mine is that it, uh, people seem to value weakness isn't the right word, but the whole fourth wave feminism, intersectionality nonsense that's infecting our society, uh, celebrates people's deficiencies, Mm -hmm. it seems. So, um, what's your take on that? Yeah. Celebrating deficiencies. That's, that's, that's interesting because I, I think that, you know, take the tiger mom element out of it for a second, at least for, for the men, let's say, uh, the Asian men, uh, you know, obviously Asians tend to be of a smaller build. Uh, they tend to be shorter. Uh, but you know, as, as the economy gets better, uh, in, you know, places like Korea and Japan, uh, better diets, uh, you're seeing, you're seeing the newer generation of Asian kids, you know, Getting pretty tall. Yeah, South Koreans are taller on average than North Koreans. Yeah, nutrition yeah. is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't make that cutoff. Uh, I'm of the generation <laughs> that was still kind of short, but uh, it's okay. But your dad weighs 100 pounds. You're doing pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Relatively. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So at least I feel like a lot of Asian guys in uh, my demographic. A lot of us grew up incredibly scrawny, incredibly small. And I think that for the longest time, at least, you know, if you're American born, if you're an Asian American man, uh, you didn't really grow up with with a lot of uh, fitness role models. Uh, You didn't grow up watching Hollywood movies or watching uh, Mr. Olympia and seeing like an Asian person um, doing that sort of thing. And uh, I think the lack of a role model kind of, uh, you know, for the longest time kept fitness out of our purview. Um, But, you know, you get into middle school, you start puberty, you go into high school, you start seeing girls and you start seeing these girls go for, you know, what, what this generation calls chads. And, uh, you know, it starts kind of wearing you down a little bit because you don't have that sort of masculine, um, image. So, you know, then you discover the gym through some means, either you've, you've somehow found the motivation to just, you know, bite the bullet and go against your internal programming and or you get your heart broken by a girl <laughs> and uh, you start hitting the weights and uh, you discover something. Uh, once your chest starts developing and people start noticing it, it creates this positive feedback loop, uh, that dopamine rush. And um, yeah, you just go at it constantly until you kind of get to the place where you are, you know, looking back and you're kind of like, man, I've, I'm, I'm much more confident than I was before. And you know, combine that now with the elements of, I guess, the, the, the work ethic that uh, t- tiger moms or helicopter moms kind of instill in you, and you got yourself a, a dangerous combo. So I think that, again, for me, for me personally, and I think a lot of Asian dudes in my demographic, a lot of Asian dudes who grew up pretty scrawny, and most of us do grow up pretty scrawny, um, the minute we discover the gym and the minute we discover, you know, the, the confidence that comes with it, and the attention that it brings from the ladies, uh, it becomes a, a, a drug, not a dangerous one, a pretty good one. 
Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so you're speaking in general terms because my, my question was kind of general. Let's get specific. Tell yeah. me about, about your story. So tell me specifically what was going through your head when you started lifting weights and uh, the ways that it's benefited you. And also if, 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 it, uh, if it has any downsides, I'm interested in hearing that mm. as well. Yeah, so my story specifically, uh, it goes back quite a bit. At middle school, people start hitting puberty. All your friends outgrow you in height. And then one day, um, I was the kid who, you know, five guys, you know, you and your friends get into a car because, you know, in high school, someone gets a driver's license. You always, you guys all want to go somewhere together. The minute, I mean, I started, this is what I got a lot. It's like, oh, Benji's the smallest. He gets the middle seat in the back, right? Yeah, Benji's the tiny one. Um, and it, and it, you know, at the time I kind of just, I kind of took it on the chin. I didn't let it bother me too much, but over time it started getting, you know, it, it started digging his claws deeper into my subconscious and made me incredibly insecure. Um, I remember in middle school realizing that my build was a lot, uh, I was a lot thinner than all the other guys. And so what I did was I put the layers on during hot summer days, I would wear like three sweaters, I kid you not, three sweaters on a 85 degree day. And people would call me crazy. People were like, dude, why are you wearing a sweater? I was like, oh, I get cold easily. Um, and so those were my excuses for the longest time. And I would always wear long sleeves too because I was kind of insecure about how small my wrists were. And um, yeah, going to the pool and all this stuff with girls, like I didn't want people to see how skinny I was. I had curves, which was, uh, you know, I was insecure about, about that for the longest time. What do you mean curves? Curves, like, you know, about the waist. You had an hourglass figure. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I had an hourglass figure. And um, as a dude, that's very emasculating. Yeah. So, again, I piled on the layers. But uh, I never really thought, again, to go to the gym because it wasn't really in my programming. Fitness wasn't really ever a thing that I thought about. Um, Then college came. I was still that skinny kid. Uh, No female attention, um, which took a toll on my confidence a lot. I mean, at some point, I think I think freshman or sophomore year of college, I kind of just gave in and accepted that, you know, this is my fate. I could be one of those guys that end up single forever. Because mm. uh, I never knew what it was like to, to have a girl say, you know, I got a crush on Benji, right? I was, but I was, I was kind of like the, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, I was kind of like the gay best friend for a lot of girls though. <laughs> so, you uh, say whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was kind of like the gay best friend for a lot of girls. And yeah. so a lot of my friends were girls who put me in the friend zone. Mm. But, you know, it was fine at the time. Uh, being around a lot of women who are kind of more, they're generally more compassionate, a bit more in tune with their emotions. Um, it, it kind of helped me navigate my emotions a lot better. And then, um, you know, I remember uh, you met my ex. Uh, her name was Cindy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I came across her in a cell biology class in college, and I just had the biggest crush on her because she was such a nerd. She got really excited about, you know, cell biology, and she would scream whenever, uh, you know, the, the professor wanted to ask someone a question. And, uh, you know, long, long story short. My I, people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, long story short, I somehow got her into my study group, and um, people started noticing that I had a big crush on her. And I think she kind of liked the attention. And uh, one, di- one day I was sitting on the couch just like re-watching a lecture. She comes up to me and she sits next to me, kind of in a flirtatious way. But, you know, she, she doesn't actually like me. I think she's just enjoying the, you know, again, kind of, kind of uh, get me on edge. Out of nowhere, she just slaps my chest. And um, am I allowed to curse? You say, honestly, you can say whatever you want. This, this was exactly what she said to me verbatim. Bony ass motherfucker. Out of nowhere. I think she thought it was cute and funny, but man, that hurt. That hurt a lot. Yeah. And um, so, you know, and at that time, she also was starting to crush on my, my housemate. And so I was like, you know, I, I don't know how to, how to deal with all this negative emotions. So one of my friends uh, who was, you know, a, a bodybuilder, he told me, you know, just go to the gym with me. Let's, let's blow off some steam. And uh, that first day uh, turned into like another day and another day and another day. And then eventually I started getting some muscle tone. People started noticing my chest. She started noticing too. Uh, and she eventually came around. I well think done, that had Cindy. a lot to do with it. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, we need to bring shame back. <laughs> the shame that you instilled upon my brother-in-law here has changed his life. So thank shame, you. Cindy. Shame is great impetus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can stand up to the pressure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good. Yeah. 
Damn. Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation. I didn't realize all this. What an interesting yeah. story. <laughs> um, so then that's the pre-lifting phase. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that point forward. How did your life change? Um, there's obviously a physical change. Tell me more about that. Tell me about the psychological change. Tell me if it uh, opened up any new opportunities for you. Just whatever, however it benefited you or, yeah. or disadvantaged you, I'd like to hear about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first thing, uh, the with the muscles came some female attention. Um, you know, you, you start taking care of yourself, you start investing in yourself, going to the gym, you start being more mindful about your appearance. So, you know, I dressed a bit better. Um, and, you know, with the positive attention I was getting with people complimenting my my gains, I, you know, it, it gave me, I guess, it gave my brain the essential dopamine that it was kind of lacking uh, for most of my development. And that turned into confidence. And once, you know, I started getting into the swing of things, I was able to look back like a year ago or two years ago and be like, man, I'm totally a different person. And it did propel me into this area where I was very kind of, um, I was a little arrogant. I was a little- Well, you're a college age male. Yes. So yeah. that's, a, that's a, you know, a synonym. I was, I was living it up. I was kind of trying to, I guess, be that cool kid uh, live that cool kid life that I never got to experience. But, you know, I don't think it really created any, I didn't get in my head that much. I wasn't, you know, so cocky to the point where people were actively noticing, noticing I was an asshole. And this, this goes back to kind of just me being friends with a lot of girls. I think, uh, you know, before I started working out, be just, just being around, you know, emotional, very emotional creatures helped me kind of navigate my own emotions and kind of be very self-aware. Um, but that is one of your strengths, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I think this also um, having having a you know your wife, my sister, a very strong uh, female figure. Having my mom as well, who's a very strong female figure, and you, you know about that. Those and, two women are uh, are forces to be reckoned with. Yeah, your mom is five feet of fury, man. Yeah, she is a uh, she is a powerful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've told Rip and Steph about her because oh, yeah. her presence, the way she walks, has, she has such a commanding presence, and she's only five feet tall. Um, yeah, and it's just uh, it's just supreme confidence and supreme competence. She is quite an impressive woman. I remember you telling me once that she had the 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 body language of an alpha male gorilla or something. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. So so I think I think that lent itself to just I think that had a big part in giving me good emotional fortitude mm-hmm. in my uh, early adult development. And you know, but but where I think the lifting did kind of take its toll a little bit was um, you know, I, I did have an unhealthy obsession chasing PRs because it it was kind of how I measured myself. Like, am I stronger than the next guy? I had this kind of, um, this very deep obsession with this notion of being the alpha male. And so I didn't treat my body right. Like I got into powerlifting and uh, powerlifting is is great, it's fun, but I don't think it's the healthiest sport in the world. Um, And I think a lot of powerlifters out there will kind of give me shit for that. But yeah, it's it's not a healthy sport, you just, uh, down as many calories as you can, uh, get those numbers up, um, you know, by, you know, kind of you just, just up your body weight and uh, chase PRs that way, which is, you know, fine in the early stages uh, when you're a super scrawny kid trying to bulk up. But I think that it gets to a point where you kind of have to take into account, let's say your, your height, uh, your BMI, and mine were not, mine weren't great. And I, and I know BMI is not the most you know, accurate indicator of health, but it does give you a general idea. When, you, when my BMI said that I was overweight, overweight, I kind of just, you know, said, you know, that's BS, BMI is bullshit. My family started calling me out on my, uh, my, my weight gain. What did your mom call you, a mushroom head or something? Yeah, she called me a mushroom head. She said I looked like <laughs> Kim Jong-un at times, but I had a girlfriend at the time and I was feeling good and I was lifting heavy. I didn't notice anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, just let me pause you there real quick. Yeah. I agree with you, by the way. I mm-hmm. think that... Um, uh, we, what we do, as you know, is not powerlifting. We do strength training. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Yeah. And uh, if you're, as you said, if you're a scrawny kid, you need to gain a bunch of weight, you should gain a bunch of weight. And you could do that rapidly as long as the weight on the bar is going up just as rapidly. Yeah. Once you achieve your point of diminishing returns, a lot of people, myself included, have trouble realizing that you are not going to make muscle gains as fast as you used to. And so if you keep trying to gain weight as quickly as you used to, that weight gain is going to be primarily fat. 
-hmm. Will that make you a better lifter? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that overall best for your health and longevity? Probably not. Yeah. And, and, you know, the starting strength doesn't, doesn't try to push you into chasing, uh, PRs the same way powerlifting does because powerlifting, there's these competitions and, uh, there's this notion of the, of the one K club. I'm not sure if starting strength has a similar thing. We have a thousand pound club, but we uh, use the press instead of the bench because we're men. <laughs> I, 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 I do agree with that, by the way. I think the press is much more of a, you know, of a rigorous manly lift than the bench press. Uh, it's more practical, too. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, if it means anything, the strongman competitions, they don't test bench press. Right. It's, it's all overhead stuff. The PR is really important for us. The yeah. PR is uh, the measure of progress. The difference between a starting strength, strength training focused PR and a powerlifting PR is it's what the powerlifting PR is competitive. And when you're competing, you're willing to make sacrifices in mm -hmm. order to achieve the goal. And sometimes those sacrifices yes. might be at the expense of your overall health, mm -hmm. um, your body fat percentage, and maybe your joint health, let's say. Mm -hmm. And uh, for our purposes in the gym, we are not making those trade-offs unless the, on the rare occasion we're helping somebody prepare for a powerlifting meet. Mm -hmm. But if we're ever faced with the decision in our gyms of do we push this person harder and potentially hurt them or have them gain more weight than they need to and get to a body fat percentage that isn't good for them, um, then the answer is, of course, to not hit that PR mm -hmm. and to organize their program more appropriately to help them make steady progress over time and, and um, achieve the goals that they set up to achieve, which for 99.9% .9 of our members is not to set PRs in the USAPL. Yeah. And it also, you know, like I said earlier, you, you guys are, I mean, it seems like your, your forte is helping, you know, I mean, you got, you guys help pretty much anybody, but you guys, um, put special attention to people who are, you know, either middle-aged women, people who are elderly, people who have, um, some sort of dis disability. And so, I mean, it, it goes, it, it, it says a lot about just the, the priorities of, of the folks in starting strength. And you guys, you know, don't skimp out on form at all. Like I, I've, I, I know. <laughs> Rip a toe would have my head if we allowed that. Yeah. Yeah. When he and I were negotiating the deal in the early days for the franchise uh, mm -hmm. gyms, he was absolutely adamant that no one can squat high in these gyms. That was his number one priority. No mm -hmm. one can squat high. Yeah. And I, I love that and I respect that, not just because of the adherence to rigorous standards, but also because it reminds me of, I think it's Van Halen that has a clause in their touring contract that mm -hmm. says you must have a bowl of M&Ms and no brown M&Ms or something <laughs> ridiculous like that, right? Yeah. Is it because they don't like brown M&Ms? No, it's because they want that level of detail and specificity because the experience they're trying to create is so specific mm -hmm. and the needs that they have are so specific that if the person that is hosting them is not able to deliver that level of quality to that level of detail, then they will not play that venue. Yeah. And I, I uh, that is, that is Ripito through and through, which is great because it sets the bar so high, even though we love our squat and we all, we all have to achieve, um, pardon the shitty pun, I'm a dad now. Um, <laughs> and we all have to achieve that, that level of, uh, of excellence, which is great. Yeah. And you know, I, I, one thing I, hope for starting strength in the future and i and i fully trust that you guys will i guess maintain this level of quality is you know the this keeping i guess being strict with those standards matter because you know in let's say in powerlifting it, it's kind of like crossfit in the sense that you know crossfit has no standards it, it's so it varies so much gym by gym what people like to do uh, on one hand, you come across a CrossFit gym that does a lot of wall balls, a lot of cardio, uh, jogging, all these funny exercises, the kipping pull-up or the butterfly pull-ups. At another gym, you see people doing Olympic lifts um, in, 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 with all this horrible form. As quickly as possible. As quickly as possible for as many reps as possible, mm -hmm. and you do it as a hit exercise. Um, it's, it's, powerlifting kind of a, has a version of that. It's not nearly as bad, but you, know, you have all these federations in powerlifting. You know, that just goes that already goes to show that people don't really they can't agree on the standards because there is no standard. Uh, so you have a lot of these federations come and they impose impose all these different rules. On one hand, you have a federation that allows you to wear these like really tight knee sleeves and you do these like sumo squats where your range of motion is like two inches and that that counts. Um, you know, you, you, you compare a sumo deadlift with a conventional deadlift. And, you know, if, if two people in the same weight class, if the dude that does sumo uh, 
you know, gets a greater total than, total than the dude that does conventional, uh, even though there's like a five pound difference, then, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that the sumo guy gets it. And I, and, you know, to be, to be clear, uh, I am a, a sumo hater. It's a fan, it's a fantastic <laughs> exercise on its own. Sure. But I think it's kind of ridiculous that you're judging a sumo and a conventional within the same vein. Well, it's just a loophole. The rules uh, should yeah. say that your arms need to be outside of your legs. Yeah. As simple as that. And that's what it, the strength lifting rules at Ripito wrote say, because yeah. obviously that's the way to do it. So you don't, you know, put your legs on each end of the barbell yeah. and then have a six inch range of motion. Yeah. And, uh, and also that, you know, you, you, these, these, these pyramid benches, I don't know if you see these people with these pyramid back arches, Oh yeah. uh, where you're, you know, bringing the barbell to the bottom of your rib cage mm -hmm. for like an inch and pushing it up. Yeah. So long, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is it, it's important, I think for, you know, as you guys grow, uh, to not let, I guess, the opinions of, of, to not be inundated by all these new opinions that come in, uh, who try to change you guys fundamentally. Because I can I, guarantee you that will be the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, will, they, will, will they be successful and change you guys fundamentally? I don't think so. I'm confident that you guys, that won't happen to you guys, but, um, but yeah. We have I, a book, a textbook of, of rigorous detail. And those are the standards you must adhere to. And we don't give a damn about what's fashionable. Yeah. All we care about are the arguments. So if someone has an argument that is more complete than the ones that Ripito and the whole crew have made, then we have to consider it yeah. and we'll update as we always have if necessary. But we will never cater to fads and trends because it's not what we're interested in. But the fact that you guys have like a, like a philosophical base, that book, mm -hmm. the starting strength book, mm -hmm. um, I mean, and I got an anecdote, but, um, you know, it's, it's like a constitution. It's like a, it's like a Bible, right? Right. You, you call, you always kind of have this, uh, foundational base that prevents you from going too far. You might make some amendments here and there, but you always kind of have like a, like a core backbone. Mm -hmm. And, and one thing, uh, and I already told you about this, but you, you mentioned earlier that Asians and Asian men are starting to pick up. Now, Asian women, too. Um, yeah, Kathy, because, that's how we met. Yeah. I saw her at Ruka, and she's squatting in the rack and looking down and bending over. And I was like, what? This hell, this lady knows what she's doing. Yeah. And she read the blue book, man. Yeah. Got co coached by an SSC. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, because lifting is starting to get popular in the Asian community, because, you know, scrawny dudes don't want to be scrawny forever, and girls, you know, without butts, don't, you know, don't want pancake butt syndrome for the rest of their lives. Um you know, because it got so big, I was in I was in L.A. and uh, I was, you know, my current girlfriend, she lives in Koreatown. She was going to this gym. Um, she takes Instagram stories, uh, Instagram videos of her doing her lifting exercises. And I noticed someone in the background doing a squat that looked, you know, very kind of eerily similar to the starting strength squat. And then I checked out their Instagram page. And I saw people doing overhead presses. Then I looked at it, and I was like, the, 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 the hand placement, the elbow placement, the hip thrusts, this looks like starting strength. Oh, yeah. I can guarantee you that they uh, read the starting strength book, and they based their entire philosophy around it. And lo and behold, you know, I got a hold of uh, one of the gym members because I was interested in, in a session just to get to know what, what they were doing. And I was like, do you guys, by the way, plan around, uh, have you read Starting Strength? They're like, oh, yeah, like that's, that's our whole thing. Oh, yeah. And they're not even, you know, uh, associated with you guys. But mm -hmm. the fact that someone was able to pick up that book and was able to kind of recreate that um, entire philosophy and create like a whole training regimen for people around it uh, says a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I did my novice linear progression in commercial gyms all mm -hmm. over the world. And uh, so you would see someone squatting, pressing, and deadlifting. Yeah. And, you know, same rep scheme and same relatively similar form, at least their best interpretation. Mm -hmm. And it'd be like, starting straight? Starting straight. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so that, this was years ago, right? And yeah. And now it's it's bigger than ever. It's the same feeling. Uh, I, I imagine it's the same feeling as, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're wearing a metal shirt, and you see another kid with a metal shirt, and you're passing by, you're like, hey. <laughs> Part of the community. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, so I, I uh, sidetracked you there. You were you were completing your story about the way that lifting weights had benefited you um, in all the different areas. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, a lot of benefits. Uh, yeah. Like I said, the the confidence, um, the the ladies, <laughs> but yeah, overall psychologically, it, it just it's it was me just taking care of myself. Yeah. And when you invest in yourself, uh, you kind of always have a you know a way to kind of ground yourself again. Um, it's a great stress it's a great outlet for stress but the the detriments was 
you know, like I said, I was chasing an unhealthy lifestyle. I was just putting anything down my mouth to gain weight and up the pounds, um, up my PRs. And then, yeah, I started, I think I started getting some headaches and I was in New Orleans with my ex at the time and uh, I just did a blood pressure test because she wanted to do it for fun. And I came in thinking that, oh, I'm the healthiest dude in the world. Like I, I got the, I'm as healthy as a horse. I did my blood pressure test and I was, I was hypertensive. I was a stage one hypertensive. And I was like, what? What were your numbers out of curiosity? Oh, it was pretty high. I think it was like 161 over, I forget. I forget the, the bottom number. Multiple data points or one data point? I did it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they didn't just do it there. Like I went, I was working at a doctor's office at the time. I, I got one of those, I forgot what they're called. Steth- steth- not stethoscopes, but you know, the blood pressure things. The sphagogamagamometer. Yes, yeah, the yeah. sphagmometer. Yeah. Or something I've, like that. I've, I've looked at that word many times. I've never figured out how to pronounce yeah, it. I don't know who's naming these things, <laughs> but um, yeah. And I was like, what the heck? Like I, I, I thought it was healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might explain my headaches. And then I went to actually went to do a, a, a health checkup. The first one in a very long time. I didn't grow up really, you know, going to doctors. It's not really what, you know, traditional Asian moms do. Probably why their kids are so healthy. <laughs> yeah. I got another story about that later, but, um, but yeah, I, I, went and he told me he's like dude like you're you're kind of unhealthy uh your blood pressure's uh really high and uh i think your heart is working really hard to perfuse all that blood uh across your your visceral fat on your organs and um yeah and then i had to start losing weight and uh the numbers went down i got a lot weaker with it and that was that was very demotivating very discouraging because my, my confidence was kind of tied to those PRs for the longest time. And that kind of uh, took a toll on my mental health for a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I think that was the detriment. How did you overcome that? Because um, that seems like a useful, a useful lesson to learn, to not attach your self-worth to your performance in an activity. Have you overcome that yet? What's your story there? I have overcome it. I think... You know, I think there was a period in my mid twenties, and you were there for like, uh, you know, a good. You were there for a good portion of it, actually. There was there was a period in my twenties. It was like the darkest period of my life. Um, I, you know, had worked most of my life to get into medical school, but then I, I decided it wasn't the path for me, and so you don't I want to be an lost. agent of the state, huh? I do not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, losing direction there was kind of hard at that time. Uh, my ex, you know, she had dumped me and we had a very kind of turbulent latter half of our relationship. But yeah, she, she broke up with me and that was hard to deal with. And then at that same time, uh, my parents were also getting a divorce. And, and you know how nasty that was because you actually were there for a huge portion of it. You actually helped a lot to kind of, you know, settle the waters. I became but, a divorce lawyer somehow. Yeah, yeah. It was two years of that or two or three years. It was quite a long journey, but it was a very dark period of my life. And I realized that, you know, I wasn't working any jobs that were going to amount to anything. And, you know, and all these people had really high expectations of me. All my professors, all my peers were like, oh, Benji's so smart. He's going to get to the best medical school. Like, um, and, and it was it was tough to also kind of feel like I was letting everyone down. All my peers were starting to get into medical school and, and fulfilling their dreams. And I was just kind of stuck in this apartment with another dude, uh, uh, my roommate at the time. Uh, his name's Edwin, who's actually a really good buddy. But yeah, my life wasn't going going anywhere and I had no direction. And so, you know, fitness was the, was the last thing on my mind. At that point, I wasn't chasing PRs anymore. I didn't have the emotional or mental bandwidth to. I just went because it was my only means to um, kind of stay sane. And so I just stuck with it. And then by the time I kind of uh, got through the storm and things were starting to settle down again and I started understanding what my direction was, um, I was it was a nice clean reset because now I wasn't really obsessed with powerlifting anymore. I was like, you know, I just kind of want to be healthy. And um, obviously I still maintained like a certain goal. I still maintain certain goals. Like I still wanted to hit my own personal PRs, but uh, I wanted to also kind of not be associated with powerlifting anymore. Also, you know, there's there's another thing to be said. I, I I didn't like the powerlifting community very much. I think I think Instagram has has, you know, by and large, really tarnished the um, the the powerlifting vibe, 
every gym you go to now, it's 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 full of uh, powerlifting influencers. And um, Ripito has great things to say about powerlifters. Yeah, it's they're 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 starting to become pretty weird creatures. Um, not all of them, of course, but like a lot of commercial powerlifting gyms that I've been going to. Um, that's always, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big circle jerk. Hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't a fan of that, but that's, 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 I'm going on a tangent here, <laughs> but yeah. So, so I think once I was able to do a clean reset and, um, you know, I, I was able to kind of rekindle my passion for fitness in a much more mature way. Hmm. Um, you know, albeit a little disorganized, but yeah, that, I think that's how I kind of overcame it. Excellent. You're doing great, man. No, thank you. Yeah, you look good. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing some more muscle on you. Um, <laughs> but I think as it, far as being just a late 20s computer programmer, you're in fantastic shape. Yeah. You're stronger than everyone in the office, I imagine. Uh, probably 99% of the city, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. um, and you've I done like well for so. yourself. Yeah, and, and, and good for yeah. you, man, for, for not becoming a doctor. Yeah. Um, there's definitely... There is some, uh, it, it is a noble endeavor depending on your motivations, but it's very hard to, um, it's very hard to think for yourself in that system as we've just learned over the past couple of years. And the fact that you decided to instead become an engineer, not a code monkey, but an actual software engineer yeah. where you are understanding problems and solving problems with technology and building the technology that solves the problems, uh, your value is exceptionally high already, as you know, based on your paycheck every two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it has set you up for a lifetime of um, of high potential endeavors. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate. It. I, I mean, I look I look back every single day, and I can't help but you know be very thankful to my 25 year old self for deciding very last minute I am not going to go to medical school. Well done. Yeah, yeah. It's hard yeah. to break the mold. It's hard to think for yourself. It's hard to swim upstream. It's hard to do. Uh, it's what hard your to peers... fight your programming, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and go against what your peers and your parents want you to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's an important rite of passage, and I think that's uh, defining for people. And yeah. I think it's an important part of, of maturing. So well done. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So speaking of um, of impressing women and meeting women because of lifting weights and all this other stuff, I just thought this would be worth considering. The house that we're sitting in here right now, yeah, and my wife and my daughter upstairs. None of those things would exist for me mm -hmm. had it not been for starting strength. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? That is weird. I would not be sitting here in Idaho in my own house with a daughter and a wife right yeah. now had it not been for starting strength. Yeah, and had you had you had you not been kind of attuned to fitness? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting uh, thing to reflect on. Did you miss anything in that in that story? So, um, so we talked about the confidence. We talked about getting attention from women. Um, that was pretty interesting too. As mm -hmm. a young man, I, I got attention from women uh, when I got to talk to them, and and I could I could uh, I could you know show my personality, um, or if there was some uh, inkling of my position at work because that's attractive, especially based yeah, on where yeah, I was yeah. working at the time. But never based on uh, on you know. On, on my imposing physique. Well, well, um, you know, to be clear, it, it wasn't just the physique. It was the confidence that came with it. Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, the confidence, you know, people respond to confidence more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wouldn't have been confident had it not been for, you know, fitness. And I just didn't have that confidence growing up because, you know, like I said, I kind of just relented and accepted the fact that I'm always going to be that skinny kid uh, that wouldn't be attractive to women. And, um, yeah, and th that obviously was kind of my undoing for the longest time. Yep. But, yeah, it was definitely the confidence that came with it. But I, didn't ju I just didn't have a lot to, to make a case for my confidence Sure. Um, in my early kind of adolescence and early adulthood. And we have a uh, – the YouTube audience is young, but the, the podcast audio audience is uh, middle-age plus for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure some people are out there thinking that – um, you know, our focus might be rather superficial in this mm -hmm. conversation, but I'd like to point out that, uh, my personal belief is the meaning of life is love. So receiving love, giving love, um, when you meet someone who, uh, is at your level and is the right fit for you and your life and your future, you're able to achieve the next level of giving and receiving love. Mm -hmm. And then if things go well and it truly is the right fit and you're able to produce another life, 
then your capacity for love increases exponentially. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you, at least the way I feel, you can achieve a true level of, of fulfillment and peace mm-hmm. um, and happiness. And that's what I'm experiencing now as a new dad. And uh, yeah, I think, I think you're on a great path. And I think that, um, I hope that it results for you the way that it did for me. Yeah. And this isn't just like an obsession with aesthetics and, uh, you know, wanting to date. It's, it's, you know, if there's one thing that's clear about our wiring and our biology, it's that we were designed to procreate. And um, your ability to improve yourself so that you can find a mate that is of the highest quality and be at that person's level dictates the quality of your offspring and the quality of the rest of your life. So it's like, it's fairly fundamental from my perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you bring up the point that, you know, on the, on the surface, this might come off as very superficial. Like this is all just a means to an end of, and that end is ladies. But, you know, it's, I think it's more than that. I think for me, it's, it's more so the story of just the development of a young man. Uh, and I, and I, you know, I see this in a lot of my, my younger peers, my younger cousins and all this stuff. But, you know, I think we, you and I had a conversation the other night about how, if you're, you know, you, it, it tends to, it bodes well for you. If you, if you kind of lean into your nature a bit, yeah. uh, in our case, the, the nature of, of a man. And I couldn't lean into that nature, uh, being, a uh, being, a, a boy who believed that this concept of a man is, is so far away from him because, you know, your understanding of a man is, you know, all these, all these chads and getting girls and dating and being in happy relationships and, um, being able to then, you know, service your family and all this stuff, you know, I, that, that wasn't a concept for me. So I couldn't, I couldn't kind of lean into that part of me, which is, you know, fundamentally that of a man. So, you know, it, it working out and all this stuff and, and gaining that confidence to allow me to lean into that aspect of myself and, and, and kind of fulfill these roles of being a man in society, someone who has the confidence to uh, uh, work hard, um, service his family, and and being able to provide for his significant other and his aging parents, that stuff all came with the confidence. So the the ultimate end wasn't ladies. Uh, that was just one aspect of of you know what it means to kind of be like a traditional man. Um, it was it was just yeah the the, the means that the end was the 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 confidence and uh, the the feeling of being competent enough to like I said do do good by your loved ones your loved ones and I I couldn't feel that without feeling confident first confidence was the precursor to that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah I'm I'm uh, I'm just glad you're able to think for yourself because your culture is most certainly not encouraging you to be masculine. Mm. and to be strong and to be capable and to be competent. And uh, our modern society really lacks a rite of passage. And I think that's a terrible thing because if we don't push ourselves, we don't know what we're made of. And the fact that you uh, elected voluntarily to go push yourself and do things that are hard um, is, uh, is admirable. Speaking of which, tell me about the shirt you're wearing last night. What does that say on it? Share that with the group. Oh, the, uh, oh, if squats were easy, that one? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, the shirt said, if, if squats were easy, they'd be call your mom. Oh, it Jesus. was, uh, yeah. I just want to remind you all that Benji's in his 20s, as evidenced by that shirt. <laughs> mom, mom jokes are, uh, yeah, those are classic. Oh, yeah, mom jokes. Yeah. Uh, that's what she said, jokes that are not off the table for me. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now that my wife's a mom, I, uh, a little more sensitive to mom jokes, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll wait till I'm a dad before I give those up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, by the way, just so the audience is aware that the, what I was trying to explain to, to Benji the other night was that, um, cause we're hanging out at the, at the dinner table and, and Benji's looking at his computer screen and b- before that he was looking at his phone and he, he creates digital, um, creations and, and products. Uh, and Benji was reflecting on, um, on how if shit hit the fan, you know, your skill set would, uh. would not be the most directly useful, although your ability to think and solve problems would be. And I was, I was trying to impart upon you that, uh, you know, all this, all this digital stuff is fun and it makes stuff really easy and it's really convenient, but we are still mammals 
and we are bound by our physical reality, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And um, when I was growing up, that didn't need to be said. Yeah. But now in 2023, it needs to be said. Mm -hmm. And as a borderline Gen Z millennial guy, um, you're right on the fence there. The next generation might have the feeling that the, the, the digital world is the real world. And Ripito's opening line to the blue book will become more apparent at that point, which is physical strength is the most important thing in life. Yeah. Physical strength is the most important thing in life because it is our interface with our environment. And our, our, our yeah. thumbs uh, are our interface to the digital world, but we still live in the physical world. And um, just so everyone's aware of, of kind of where I was going with this at the time, because this group finds this sort of stuff interesting in our community. You can live in San Francisco, you can make a bunch of money, um, but you need to be aware of the risks associated with being a dependent. Yeah. And if you depend on somebody else for your energy and your water and your food and your security, you are dependent. And I think um, based on your stage of life and your specific risk profile based on where you live, how much you pay attention to that and manage that varies. But I just wanted to bring that to your attention because uh, it's been at the top of my mind since my early 20s just based on... <clears throat> all the crazy places I've lived and all the crazy place, uh, things that I've seen. Mm -hmm. So um, have you had any time to chew on that since we spoke about it? Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've actually, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I've, I've actually thought about this for quite a while. Um, this goes back to my, you know, my thoughts on my own self-worth. I think that once I started getting comfortable in my career, I started kind of, and, you know, actually seeing you just kind of uh, be this free I'm my own boss um, kind of thing. I think that I think that started a domino effect in my brain where I started thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm only valuable and I have worth right now because some other guy, this, this, this founder the, for the company I worked for, he carved out this little, this little nook for me in society, right? I didn't totally earn this by myself. Like my, I'm dependent upon his, his ideas uh, for, you know, this company. And like, you know, like I said, it's convenient because he created this little pocket that I can sit in and occupy. But what is my innate self-worth as a human being? You know, um, so, you know, I, I always kind of imagine I have this little thought where, you know, what happens if an EMP wave kind of just destroys all of the electronics in the United States and all around the world? My worth then would only be, would thus only be proportional to the ability to, you know, do do what exactly? Um, provide food. Uh, you know, if, if there was a nuclear fallout event or something and it was just me and my family, uh, my worth would then, in that scenario, is proportional to, you know, can I start a fire? Can I go out and, and get some game and feed everybody? Uh, none of the skills that I have right now truly matter in that sense. It, it, it's dependent upon... Um, a lot of these conveniences that we have in, you know, a first world country. So that's what I've been sitting on for the longest time. And I think, like I said, it, it creates a little bit of discomfort uh, internally, knowing that, again, my innate worth, my primal worth is pretty much zero right now. Because I'm a software engineer, I, I kind of uh, I kind of depend on the fact that society relies on electronics. I kind of depend on the fact that society runs smoothly. But you know, if, if I weren't so lucky, if I weren't born in America, if I was born in like a war torn country, where like your parents were, yeah, like this my is parents, real, yeah, this happens, yeah. And uh, you know, you you can't make the assumption that the world is always going to you know be be fine and dandy, rainbows and sunflowers. Something can go wrong out of the blue. In fact, yeah. you're better off assuming the opposite based on historical fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I understand, you know, the whole risk profile thing, just take take reality into account. It's probably not likely, but but still, you know, I, people in, in Iran back in, let's say, the 1970s probably weren't thinking to themselves that there was going to be this gigantic revolution that was going to change the course of their lives and, you know, women aren't going to be able to go to school. It's, um, you know, it, it you have to assume that it can happen and you kind of have to at least you know, put it in the back of your mind and, and, and build yourself up to have some sort of, sort of a primal worth. Um, 
I guess that's what I've been sitting on for the longest time. I'm not I'm not exactly comfortable knowing that my worth is just you know I can do things on the computer, move my finger around fingers around and make some things happen. Um, I want to be able to you know be a Boy Scout in some sense, uh, be able to survive in the woods if if it came down to it, and uh, be able to provide medical assistance to my family who needs it uh, without obviously going to medical school. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been sitting on, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what I did was I decreased my expenditures as much as possible and I maximized the amount of value that I created mm -hmm. and I stashed that away and then I converted that into tangible value that, uh, my family and I can depend on. So you have the ability to make a significant amount of money and I hope you do that. And I hope you use that to set up the rest of your life so that you can accomplish all those things that you just mentioned because you can do whatever you want in life. And that's something I always had the, the inkling of in the back of my mind. And then I started realizing it the older I got. Yeah. And then I realized that there truly are no constraints and there are, there are no, the, the only constraints that exist are the ones you impose upon yourself. So think big and go hard, you know? Yeah, the constraint that I'm currently dealing with is the, is the, the golden handcuffs. You know, uh, I work a cush tech job. Um, I, I live in a nice neighborhood. I live outside of San Francisco. I had to get out of San Francisco. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's, the, that's my current constraint. It's like on one hand, I want this sense of primal worth um, and to kind of, you know, feel like I'm, I'm, I have a value when you strip everything else away. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, it's just, it's hard to find time in the day to kind of, do these things when when you're working for these big tech companies that require long hours and all that stuff. But yeah, I think my strategy will be to just save as much money as possible in the early stages so that I have that sort of um, flexibility and freedom to eventually break free from that and uh, look for those things that will impart value. Can you talk about the company you work for? Uh, yeah, I can talk about it. Let's hear it. Uh, what do you want to know? Give me the uh, elevator pitch. The elevator pitch, uh, I work for a company called WeFunder, and it offers an alternative to traditional uh, VC funding, angel investing, all that jazz. If, you want, if, you're, if you're a small business or a startup and you want to raise from your community, your friends and family, people who aren't rich, people who aren't accredited investors, people who just want to give you $100 because they like your idea, uh, that's what we do. We provide you with a portal to allow that to happen. And um, yeah, I would say that's the elevator pitch. I bring it up because I have a vision for us leveraging your platform to mm -hmm. help coaches that don't have the financial means or the credit necessarily to get an SBA loan and start a gym, mm -hmm. but have the competence and will definitely be successful. I see WeFunder as a potential solution for that. So mm -hmm. show your boss's podcast. So let's talk, man. He would enjoy it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, I think I told you, actually, I, I'm not sure if you want to go down this route. You might want to edit this part out. Sure. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that I don't want to presume that, that you guys are, you know, either left leaning, right leaning or leaning anywhere else. Um, but I think that from what I understand about you and just the people that, you know, you, uh, interact with, I think that, um, yeah, my, my CEO would, would actually find it pretty, um, refreshing that you guys are the types to kind of question, and um, like I know he's a San Francisco founder and all this stuff, and people would usually hear that and think of him as a uh, left-leaning, very liberal type of guy. But I think we funder, and man, uh, I, I hope this doesn't you know, get us in trouble, but I think we are a little conservative pocket in, uh, in San Francisco. And I don't mean conservatives, and we are actually conservative. I'm just saying relative to how far the left has gone today, uh, we are, I guess, to the right of them. American conservatism in practice yeah. is just the shadow of liberalism from the previous generation. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, that's not my concept. I just recently read um, a really interesting piece that outlined that, that I thought was spot on. Yeah. And I think it was on Ripito's forum actually on his COVID-19 thread that has like 4 million views. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't care about labels. I yeah. just care about people that know how to think yeah. and perform an analysis, you know? Yeah. And if you're just the type that, uh, that goes along for the ride, um, I mean, knock yourself out, but, but, uh, I prefer people yeah. that think for themselves and make their own decisions. Yeah. I, I don't care about labels too, but you know, you and I are kind of at, I, I think, you know, I, you're a very smart guy. 
uh, you know, I like to think I'm pretty smart. Uh, we can look past the labels. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people, the general person, puts a lot of stock in labels. Labels oh, yeah. are very powerful. Convenient. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it triggers a, a neuron in someone's brain. Tribalism. That, yeah, yeah. It, it, it creates, it fires a neuron in their brain that, that, causes them to create all these heuristics. Cause like once I hear you're right or left, or once I have that label, I know everything there is to know about you. Mm -hmm. And uh, there will be no conversation henceforth because yep. you are on the opposite side of where I am. And uh, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, you have conversations with someone and they tell you what your position is before you've even shared it with them. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we funder. By the way, if your boss does actually watch this, you may not like this part, but you need to quit your job. You need to start a company. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll help you. Whatever you need, I'll help you. Go oh, do thanks, it, man. man. Go do it. Fall on your face or not. Mm -hmm. Get up, do it over again. And uh, you want to talk about a rite of passage? You know, go, go, uh, yeah. go. Put your ego on the line. Go get a bunch of people to bet on you and to join you in your vision. Attempt to lead them. Attempt to build something new and useful. Attempt to make a positive change in the world in your small corner of it. Um, and attempt to to think and behave in a way that. Uh, um, that makes you proud and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And then do that to the extent that it creates enough value to support you and your family. Yeah, it is at the forefront of my mind. I mean, as you know, my dad uh, started a business and he came you know, from nothing, came from Vietnam, left a war-torn country. On a boat. On a boat and uh, you know, w worked in kitchens, uh, worked you know, making grilled cheese for the Air Force. Um, and he saved up enough money. He saved up enough money for a Corvette, which he eventually sold, so that he can start his own CNC machine company. And um, and he still owns that building. Yeah, and he still day. owns that building. And to me, that that was honestly one of the most impressive things in the world. Um, Your parents are impressive, just incredible people. Yeah, their work ethic and their drive is. Uh, I'm I'm as grateful to them as you are because without them, we again we wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, that, that for me is like an example of some, someone being able to arbitrate their own worth. I think that's what I'm currently struggle, struggling with the most. It's, um, you know, someone else is arbitrating my worth. They're arbitrating my value with a salary. And, and honestly, like, it's, it's, it's weird for me to say this, and it's going to sound incredibly privileged, but, you know, whenever I get a promotion, it, it feels kind of insulting because it's it's literally someone just saying oh yeah i am i'm arbitrating your value you're worth more than you were yesterday you impressed me so you know i'll, I'll throw a couple more bucks your way and um you know my dad didn't have to deal with that because he just he said you know i'm going to bring in my own money with the services that i provide that people need and that is you know i'm i'm again i'm arbitrating my own worth and providing a service that other people need and um yeah that for me sounds like freedom and I understand, I know the, the, the strife involved in being a founder or a small business owner. I know it's not exactly freedom because you're kind of chained to your business. It's, but you choose. Yes, exactly. You choose but the you chains choose. that you shackle yourself mm -hmm. to. You know, no one's telling you where to be or what to do. Yeah. The fewer masters you have in your life, if you have the competence to not have masters, the, the more fulfilled and happy you will be. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is at the forefront of my mind. I think the only thing keeping me back from that at the moment, well, there's, there's, there's a few things. Um, there's, there's a few logistical things like, uh, but I think the main thing is the main thing for me personally is that right now I, I'm not exactly at the place where I feel like I've, I'm as smart as I can be. I'm still kind of acquiring experience and learning from people's mistakes. And, and it's a great, WeFunder is a great place to work for that because if I'm going to start my own company one day, what better way than to be surrounded by, you know, founders because yep. we work with founders and I get to see the dumb mistakes they make. I get to see the dumb mistakes we make. And so, yeah, I'm learning a lot from that. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, keep eating up those uh, novice gains. And yeah. then once you've hit the point of diminishing returns, make the jump. Yeah. And I've got your back. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That was a fun conversation, man. Thanks so much. Yeah. And, uh, thanks. Looking forward to our next conversation when you tell us about uh, your 405 squat yeah. and the company you started. Oh, thanks, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely, you're, you're, you'll be the first guy I talk to when I, when I have an idea. Um, I've already come to you a few times with some, with some dumb ideas. and So we're pretty good. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, and I, I remember I had a really dumb conversation with you about like, yeah, I have this idea, but like, you know, I'm thinking about getting some co-founders on but how do i how do i talk about ownership like who owns how much of what um yeah that, that part <laughs> sounds kind of scary that's the easy part 
Really? That's, oh yeah. 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 There's a method for that. Okay. There's a All right. You're the guy. I'll, yeah, I'll come yeah. to you then. Um, yeah. Happy to help with that. And uh, if people think you're interesting and want to follow you online, give me your Instagram handle. Sure. Yeah. We'll do. Oh, tell it to the crew. Oh, um, it is uh, Benji underscore man underscore van on Instagram. It's really not much on there, but yeah, I'm not much. I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to lower my social media presence. I'm trying to get away from uh, electronics and all this stuff. You know, I'm trying to lower my digital footprint in general. I think the internet has way too much information about me. Um, and, I'm, and I just started caring about that. Wait till the AI gets a hold of it, my friend. Oh, they probably yeah, already have it. We're all in big trouble. Yeah. Uh, well, anytime you need a break, come out to Idaho and hang out and uh, reconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. All we'll right. do. It's Thanks, always a blast Benji. here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. See you guys.